Hello and welcome to Office Hours with EAB. Today's episode explores the way that university fundraising is shifting in response to a recent change in the way U.S. News & World Report accounts for alumni giving in determining the magazine's college rankings. So give these folks a listen and enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Office Hours with EAB. I am Mark Shreve, a managing director at EAB, and I get to work closely with our partner institutions and their advancement leaders on their fundraising priorities. One of the perks of this job is that I get to build upon my own fundraising experiences by learning from some really smart people every day. And today, I've invited two such people to talk about a recent shift that's happened following the decision from U.S. News and World Report to stop using alumni giving metrics as part of their college rankings methodology. Joining me today to talk about why that matters and how universities can change as a result are two of my favorite people, Lola Maurer from Ball State University and Daniel Bergner from George Washington University. Lola, Daniel, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, thanks for having us. I'm excited about this conversation. And I will say this is actually my first podcast that I've ever been on. So I am really excited to do this with EAB. I'm a veteran, Daniel. This is my second one. A hundred percent more podcast experience. One hundred percent. Lola, with that added experience, maybe we'll start with you. Um, oh, great. Would you tell our listeners a little bit about your role at Ball State and also tell us how you reacted when you heard about this change to the U.S. News Report? Sure. So I am the Associate Vice President of Engagement and Strategy at Ball State University. And when I share that with people, they say, wait, what? What does that entail? So I have the great pleasure of working with the teams that include annual giving, donor relations, digital communications, engagement, and campus and regional engagement on top of that, which is something new that we are approaching um, and trying out at Ball State. And I must say, Mark, I was excited when I heard about the change in the U.S. News and World Report um, and look forward to really diving into that today. That's great. So, Daniel, how about you? I know you've never been a big fan of this metric. So tell us about your role at GW and, and why this aspect of those rankings has been problematic in the past. Yeah, for sure. So here at GW, I'm the executive director of annual giving. And I've been here since March of 2022, so I'm still relatively new in my role here. Uh, we have a pretty centralized annual giving effort. And so we've got two teams that fall under um, my kind of management. We've got our kind of traditional annual giving marketing team that does all of the mailers and emails, Giving Day, Giving Tuesday, all the big marketing pushes that we do to get... Uh, people to give through those mediums. And then we also have our leadership giving side of the house, which is a team of gift officers that are primarily focused on gifts between 1000 and 49999 So everything leading up to our major gift audience. And that side of the house is almost exclusively focused on pipeline development and trying to identify the next generation of major gift donors. We've got some people that do annual giving kind of in some of our larger academic units, but for the most part, it's all central um, under one team here. <clears throat> and I report up to 
um, in the same org chart that our alumni relations team lives under. So we really focus on kind of engagement overall and thinking of holistic relationships that we that our alumni and donors have with the university instead of kind of this is the fundraising shop and this is the alumni relations shop. We kind of all work together, which is fantastic. And I think is the right move for GW. Um, and this, the, yeah, you're right, Mark. I wasn't, I've never been a fan of that. And I, and I think you'll be kind of hard pressed to find anybody that actually works in our industry. That was a big fan of alumni participation in the U S news world report ranking. I think including some element of philanthropy or alumni satisfaction, I think could live in that space somehow. Um, but this number seemed really arbitrary and very easy for universities to, I got to be careful with my words, but manipulate in order to get the number that they really want um, for their leadership team. And so it caused a lot of annual giving shops, but development shops overall to get really creative in um, how they were securing gifts um, and how they were determining what their denominator was for this participation goal. And we we have a new president who started July 1st. And President Granberg gets asked a lot about rankings, as I imagine most university presidents do. And something that I really appreciate is she talks about how rankings need to be something that we look at to be uh, to, to deliver a better service to our students. And so it's a way for us to learn from our peers on what they're doing really well and what we need to improve upon. And then also for us to compare ourselves from year to year on how are we doing when it comes to the burden of debt that our students have when they graduate or um, our retention rate of students and number of tenured faculty, things like that. And alumni giving should be part of that too. Um, and how are we growing and how are we identifying our strengths and weaknesses? So it should be a tool we use. We shouldn't be managing and creating decisions around the rankings in order to get the number that we want. Um, and I just have always, I've always appreciated that way of, of thinking of the rankings. And so it's great now having our new president on board who shares in that and um, understands the place that rankings have, but not necessarily using them as a way to manage an entire university, which I really appreciate. Yeah, and we agree it's that percentage of alumni participation that's so problematic. It's it's thinking about different metrics that we can use to show support that alumni and friends are giving to our universities. So, Daniel, let me stay with you here for a moment here. Um, you mentioned a bifurcated approach that your team takes, those that are sort of the broader marketing efforts for annual giving, and then the ones that are focused more on pipeline development with leadership annual giving. Um, how has anything changed since this shift in, in the rankings in recent months? Has anything changed? Yeah, so we had already really started to, because there, there had been whispers in the wind for a little bit that this change might be coming. Um, and so we had already kind of started to change our thought process and gear a lot of our um, kind of guiding post metrics away from alumni participation to just be more focused broadly on total donor count and um, how many donors are making their first time gift versus their third gift to the university and who's moving from kind of their $100 level to $1,000 level, kind of that moves management approach of how many people are we moving up the pipeline? So we had already started thinking about that, but with removing alumni participation as um, this 
big metric that we all focus in on, it gives us this freedom to look into uh, different audiences. So for, for those of you listening who don't know, this alumni participation metric, what it's only focused in on is undergraduate degreed alumni who have given money back to the university that year. So it completely forgets about your populations that are graduate only alumni, your family philanthropy, students, friends, grateful patients, any other uh, faculty, staff, any other audience that are important audiences. Um, and it really just focuses on this one audience, these undergraduate degree alumni. And so it does a disservice to your entire donor base. And so having removed that um, metric from US News World Report, it gives us a lot more freedom to look at all of our audiences and figure out what is their philanthropic relationship with the university now and what does it need to be. Um, and so it just gives us a ton of freedom, which I really appreciate because it allows us to focus on what's more important instead of just, you know, this like arbitrary number, in my opinion, an arbitrary number. But Lola, I don't know if that's kind of, if you got if Ball State has already been kind of doing the same thing um, over the past couple of years, or if you've never focused on alumni participation, some schools have never really cared about it. Yeah, that is not a metric that my team was really chasing or paying much attention to. And now certainly by the end of every fiscal year, we would ask advancement services, hey, out of curiosity, what was our percentage of alumni who gave? And it was hovering around the 8% range, um, but definitely not something that we were held accountable for. Um, and I I do think it's important that participation, like it matters that it's declining. Um, but, you know, Ball State, for example, we were rooted in philanthropy. So when the Ball family founded um, the, the university, there's always been that spirit of philanthropy there. Um, and we have an amazing like arts culture and and certainly our giving day has amplified some of the non-alumni supporters and last fiscal year just over 37 percent of our donors were not even graduates of Ball State and so we have made a shift um, since the alumni engagement team was unified with um, the other areas that I lead um, to really think about, do we need that alumni title in there? And so we've actually removed that from um, the team name and individual title to really be more inclusive of those non-alumni segments. We know graduates will always be our biggest constituency, but we really want to connect with anyone who loves Ball State. And we really are very data inspired and looking at Who's raising their hands? Like who wants to engage with us? And so, yeah, I mean, to that point, we have not really had a big focus at all on alumni participation here. I love that. Both of you have, have mentioned sort of the freedom now to adapt to those who want to engage with your universities, right? Not just those that you're trying to force back into engagement with your universities. Um, let's take this a new direction. I, I want to bring in perhaps maybe some context for those who aren't as familiar with higher ed advancement and, and talk about how annual giving fits into overall fundraising priorities. Um, one concern that I had when I heard about this shift that we knew was potentially uh, coming down the road was that boards and presidents you know, have historically 
um, allocated extra budgets to ensure that we are building that participation number that also helps with rankings. So Daniel, Lola, welcome your thoughts here. Are you concerned at all that perhaps moving away from, from alumni participation as part of these rankings will also de-emphasize the role of annual giving or perhaps even cut down some of the budgets allocated to annual giving? Um, yeah, no, it's a good, it's a good point, a good question. And I don't know if Lola feels the same way, but working, I think within higher ed, I'm always concerned about budget allocation. And I don't know if you feel the same way, where it's a constant concern I have from year to year. Um, but I will say, I, I think what we're going to see is kind of a continued shift um, with our annual giving shops to, to, to continue to kind of marry. At, this is what we're seeing at GW. So I guess I'll talk about my own experience here. But kind of marrying the annual giving team more with marketing because like so much of what our broad base annual giving team does is marketing. It's figuring out what a nice, good kind of message is and a call to action. What are what's imagery and taglines that are going to resonate with a wide audience um, and encourage people to take action, just like any marketing company, any marketing firm will do for a large company. And we've kind of, historically had like an annual giving shop or an annual fund shop, which is really like trying to just raise money for like one general allocation when current use kind of unrestricted fund. Um, and then there'll be like a marketing team and sometimes they would compete with each other. At GW, we've really tried to combine those efforts um, between our marketing and comms leads and our broad-based support annual giving shop to deliver a very cohesive message and be really respectful of the GW brand um, and just kind of do think of our annual giving team as more of a warming tool to warm up the entire audience to make sure the brand's getting out there. People understand why it's important to give. People are raising their hand. Um, and when those people raise their hand, then the whole conversation shifts around stewardship and impact messaging and making sure they understand that we care about that first gift and so they should make a second gift. And so some things have changed, but like these changes were already happening, I think, as our universities were getting more digital and um, our marketing efforts were getting smarter when it came to segmentation. And um, and it's a fun industry to work in because we we are trying to be incredibly innovative because we have to be and um, because we have very limited budgets and we have big goals. Um, but this innovation comes from these types of conversations and learning from colleagues like Lola and other schools, because we all have our own little market, right? And we can all just focus on our market, which means we can share cool ideas. And um, and that's what I love about working in this industry. Um, but yeah, so, so there's going to be changes and I'm always concerned about budget, but I think the programs that continue to evolve and be smart about where the market's heading, I don't think they have too much to worry about because annual giving, regardless of the alumni participation metric, annual giving, this kind of broad-based messaging around philanthropic impact will always be important. It's just how we deliver it and how we stay efficient in our strategies to be mindful of those hard budget numbers we all got to hit. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that too, Daniel, because right when you were talking about the, the relationship between marketing and annual giving, and that's one of the reasons that digital communications is a direct report to me, and those teams, you know, annual giving, 
um, and of course, donor relations, right? They're working close together. And that digital communications team is is right there, like like in the thick of it. And and much like you, um, you know, the annual giving team at Ball State is responsible for those, you know, that leadership annual giving DXO type type program where you've got gifts of a thousand dollars to twenty four nine nine nine. And so annual giving will always be, in my opinion, that feed right up through the the ultimate giving experiences that that we hope, you know, a good number of our constituents get to that, you know, principal giving level. Um, and and here at Ball State, you know, annual giving is also responsible for athletic fundraising under $25,000. And so we have a great partnership with athletics and and they rely on us for that, for those strategies. And 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 I think we would also be remiss to not include the, the technological advancements um, that are happening that annual giving has to be a part of, that marketing within higher ed has to be a part of. Um, and this is no doubt why, you know, I think there are more universities that are that are seeing these marketing and digital teams pop up, not only in the advancement or slash foundation division, but specifically within that alumni engagement annual giving realm, because you've got these online giving platforms, you've got the social media, and everything really needs to be data-driven, right? Data-inspired strategies. And and I think I would I would I would say that annual giving is probably one of the teams that does that best because they sit on a plethora of data to be able to drive those strategies. Yeah. yeah. And just to kind of chime in with the importance there, I I think now, you know, in the year 2023, we have so many advancement leaders now who have worked in this field for like 20, 30 years. And that hasn't always been the case, right? Like yeah. for a while, it was like, oh, they were a really important banker in the community. And now they are vice president of advancement. They were a really well-connected business person. And now yeah. they're leading shop and that still exists and those people some of them are phenomenal leaders um but now we have so many people in leadership roles in advancement shops who possibly started an annual giving or have worked in the industry long enough to see the the long-term legacy of a strong annual giving program of like yeah. this person made their first gift of it a hundred dollars and now their name is on a building and there was a 30-year span right there and and so they can see that and so i don't know i always think about like if you care about the long-term health of your university, what your university is going to look like in 20 or 30 years, you have to care about annual giving now. It's kind of like that old adage about planting a tree where it's like the best time to plant a tree is 30 years ago. The second best time to plant a tree is today because it's going to have an impact in 30 years. So we now have those leaders that are in place, which is just really, I think, changing the dynamic of the industry to think long-term about how we are engaging our donors and um, kind of building in a life cycle for them um, because we've got those leaders in place now. Leaders like Lola, who um, has, you know, been doing this for a while now and is able to bring around some really cool, like transformational changes in our industry. So thanks, Lola. Thank you. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, you know, I was doing the math and, you know, I've, I realized I've been doing you know, this type of advancement work for 25 years now. Um, and I remember starting out and, you know, as, as a, 
student caller and then running a phone-a-thon as an assistant director of annual giving. And people, you know, would say, oh, you know, so do you want to work in, you know, playing giving or like major gifts? And I thought, neither, you know, and I mean, annual giving's become this very robust pathway where you can just stay, you know, and do these amazing things and all these different things. And, and I know that even from the leadership annual giving officers that we hire, that they go on to be major gift officers. And it's truly that wide background of annual giving that touches so many different things, you know, from multi-channel, you know, just to what you know and learn that I think is really valuable um, to carry through um, positions, um, whether it's, you know, a major gift officer or, you know, beyond that, but just knowing that that there is such a need for, you know, the unique things that annual giving brings to the table. Yeah, I'm I'm not concerned about it going anywhere. Um, and and I will share quickly that we had um several years ago a new foundation board member who um said, you know, I've been doing some thinking and if if we got rid of annual giving and donor relations and just hired more gift officers and got them out there in front of people, we would just end up raising more money. And I remember the look on people's faces, you know, thinking, well, what, what, what an interesting concept there, sir. But actually, that would be a very bad idea. And now I would say he he totally knows different. He knows better. But, you know, there there are, I think, some of those misconceptions that like, oh, you know, what 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 is what is needed there? But definitely yeah. annual giving is a powerhouse all in its own. I would have loved to have been in that room and hear you trying to like hold your tongue and just be like, wow, what an interesting idea. <laughs> well, yeah. I- Started as so you started as a student caller. I did, yes, as a student caller because my college friend worked as a student caller, and I thought, oh, wait, you're doing what? I I can do that, and so yeah, we did the job together, and you know, she she is not still in advancement, um, work wise, but I did not know that this was a career path, and so, um. Here I am. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing. I started as a student caller and I applied for that job because they would let me do my homework, like sitting at the desk. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, and then I'm just kind of stuck with it. And it's kind of there's like this. It's always fun to meet someone that works in this industry that started as a mm-hmm. student because I feel like those of us that started that way kind of just in the trenches asking for donations from anybody that would answer the phone. I yeah. find people like us are just fearless when it comes to making an app, but also just strategies and like um, how we think about decision making. It's like, look, we just got to go for it and see what see what happens here. Um, so it's That's always right. like a call center alum like yourself. Let me just yep. share here that there's a, a third previous student caller on this podcast. Hey. Wow. And that's where I got my start. I think what we're talking about here is that the work too that we're all doing in annual giving has radically changed in the past 20 years and has become increasingly complex. You mentioned technology and marketing and shifting uh, behaviors, but we're no longer perhaps leading the phone programs that we led 20 years ago. 
but still have to think about how that plays into an overall, you know, alumni giving strategy. Well, let me let me pitch this back to you then. What are we going to do moving forward? Um, how are we going to better engage our alumni now, especially the Gen Z alums that are graduating today, perhaps some of the millennials as well, people of my generation that will be part of the next campaign efforts for universities. We're, we're facing this continuous decline from alumni giving. How do we bring them back, if at all? Will it bounce back? What a great question, Mark. I wish I would, you know, had that crystal ball that would tell us what all we, you know, need to need to be, you know, thinking about. Um, as I recently had a conversation with a colleague about this very subject, um, you know, those those new generations, you know, different values, different communication styles, different preferences, um, definitely living that Amazon effect and you know, the, the immediate answers, the, you know, that social media and just the entire web can bring. Um, and that, that, you know, makes me a little uncomfortable in the sense that higher ed doesn't really move that fast, right? Um, there's, there's a lot of things happening and, and how do we, how do we adapt to that? You know, we, we obviously are an industry that is working with the, 75-year-old established donor to the 55-year-old, you know, 30-year consecutive giving donor and that two-year-out grad that just made their first gift or who hasn't given at all. And when we look at the vast numbers that that those under just say the age of 35, 40, um, I mean, gosh, that's that's our biggest constituency here. And, and I feel like higher ed is at this point where, you know, we're very good at like, and back to the annual giving thing, particularly annual giving, right? It's like, you've got all these plates and it's like one plate is we got to still do direct mail. It's bringing in a lot of money. We've got to still do, you know, the, the giving day. We've, we've got young alumni. We've got the, maybe your faculty staff campaign. There, there's all these different plates. And then it's like, oh, and then we also need to do this. And by the way, how are you talking to all these generations differently? How are you talking to that, you know, graduate that, you know, has been giving the 30 years in a row versus the one that just made their first time gift? But I think there's even something in that because a first time donor who's 50 years old and a first time donor who's 21, very different, right? So how do annual giving and donor relations approach that? You know, how do you show that appreciation and demonstrate impact, you know, and, and are you going to really say, like, look what we do together, right? I, I know community has been a, a big subject later, lately, um, as far as, you know, what what does the result of their philanthropy do? Um, you know, it's it's no secret that <laughs> generationally speaking, it's very different for those, you know, more recent grads to think about, gosh, I'm walking around campus and it's beautiful. Oh, there's my favorite professor. You know, oh gosh, wait, what? My tuition just isn't getting it done. Oh, philanthropy exists. I, I think that that should probably keep advancement professionals up at night. And I think it's everyone's concern. I don't think that just belongs to annual giving to figure out. I think it should be a conversation at big tables. Um, as, as I truly believe, as you talk about in higher ed, 
what is that collective impact? I, I, I just really think we, we really ought to be talking about that. Um, I think it's important. And I think the community of donors overall, whether you are a recent grad or a friend of the university, positive change is happening. But generationally speaking, we really, really need to have conversations now. Um, I think a lot of us are probably even behind. Yeah. Yeah, just to kind of chime in there, I think Lola really hit the nail on the head. The It's a big conversation. And I think a lot of it's kind of circling around what is the true value of higher education in the United States where people are paying for it out of pocket and it's not just a cover government service. Um, and, and I think our marketing teams and we need to do a better job of celebrating and sharing the stories of why higher ed matters and why it is in a really great investment for an individual, but also as a society. When you think about like all of the research coming out of our universities, universities are the leading provider of all research in the country. And when we think about the largest, um, the, the best way for someone to kind of move up, uh, you know, in social status and in finances, it's education. It's getting a degree um, in order to have more mobility in the workforce. And we need to celebrate that a little bit more. Um, but but when it comes down to brass tacks, like what are we doing to try to fix this and bring in more donors at GW? Something we're really leaning in on right now is video messaging. Um, yeah. When you look online, like everything is video now, and I <laughs> and I don't think it's like is a great thing, right? Like I, whenever I am like, should I read more of my book or should I spend some time watching reels on Instagram? Guilty, <laughs> like I will watch. Yeah, like it's not good. I'm not saying we as a society are in a healthy place. I'm just trying to, try to let's, let's bring the mountain to Muhammad a little bit here. And if people want to watch videos to receive information, then let's let's give the people what they want a little bit. And so we've hired a team of students, and all they're doing is creating video content. And some of them are appeals for gifts. Brilliant. A lot of them are stewardship, um, and some of them are just explainer videos, like about giving about giving day, about our different donor societies, about you know, what our is first the unrestricted fund. And why should you care? <laughs> what is the unrestricted fund? Um, and why should you care? It's that was a short video because it's it's hard to make the case. <laughs> um, but uh, but but so we're trying to do a lot more videos, um, and then pushing them out digitally. So using digital yeah. ads and social media, like paid promotional posts, to identify like the right audience, and then like push these videos to those audiences to try to get the message out in a little bit more of a digestible way. Um, and it'll take time to really see if it moves the needle the way we need it to. Some early results are positive, so we're feeling good about it, but um, it's a big investment. But um, but if we look at what other companies are doing um, and other industries are doing, everything's moving towards video. And so we're trying to do the same thing here at GW. Yeah. and. You know, I also challenge my team, you know, great, we sent that video, who watched it? You know, who who watched the entire thing? And now what's the next step for that individual? To You know, to me, that's raising their hand a little higher than the person that at least opened it. Um, and so we're, we're delving into that, you know, a, a bit further too with video. And um, Mark, I'm curious, like what you're seeing and hearing from partner institutions about this. 
Yeah, Lola, it's a, it's a great question. So part of this is really finding new ways to meet our alums where they are. And it sounds so simplistic, but that's easier said than done, right? Daniel messaged some video messaging that must be done at scale. Uh, of yeah. course, we're investing in digital marketing efforts that can reach more alums that still might have engagement with your universities, but not leaning in to make a gift. I mean, I think the bright spot I would share with those listening today is that the investment's worth it. We are graduating currently some of the most generous individuals alive today, and yet we've struggled as professionals to really tie them back to higher ed mm-hmm. and to use Daniel's words, celebrate some of the, the reasons why higher ed matters. Um, and we're facing those headwinds, not only on the fundraising side, but but drawing students to campus in the first place and trying to create that value proposition as to why they should invest back in higher ed. Um, the good news though, is that we are finding greater ways to be in front of these alums, whether they're Gen Zs, millennials, boomers, Gen X, um, and, and certainly we've got some, some room to grow. Let me ask one final question of the two of you. Um, you mentioned before that it's it's not only about meeting alumni where they are and engaging them back with their alma mater, but also expanding that audience to parents and friends and faculty and staff and others that are part of these communities. Let me ask uh, the two of you, are there, are there certain things you've done to sort of connect them with the nostalgia of their experience or create some joy uh, for perhaps a lack of a better word or or celebrate why they should stay engaged with your university? Hmm. Great, great question. So um, I think when it comes to kind of celebrating joy and making it fun and this connection, what I have found is that people, myself included, And I don't know if this is a result of the pandemic or if that just amplified it, but people are craving authentic connection more than like almost anything else, which means like you need to you need to learn more about the person you're soliciting a gift from and um, building engagement with so that you can deliver relevant content. So what did they study? What kind of areas on campus have they donated to before? What was their student org and kind of all the things we already know about them in higher ed? And then deliver that relevant content back to them so that they can hear the stories um, and learn about the things happening on campus that are relevant to them. And so you got to make it personal for the donor. Um, but then also on the flip side, I think you have to make it personal from yourself, too. And that, that there's an institutional voice that comes along with that working in higher ed, but also as an individual, if you are a gift officer or if you are a marketing professional, Make sure you're telling stories that you are passionate about, that you want to share because they will feel the passion from you, whether you're doing a Zoom meeting with a donor or you're doing a digital ad or you're drafting video content, they will feel that you are passionate about this. And at the very end of the day, this is something we've said in our industry forever, is that people give to people. And if they feel like they've established a personal connection with the person asking for the gift, they're a lot more likely to give. And I think as a fundraiser, you'll find a lot more fulfillment in your job as well. If you're talking about things that you are really passionate about, that get you jazzed, then you will, that they will feel that. And so, and, and again, I think it makes happy hour at the end of the day, a lot more fun if you've been able to kind of build authentic connections as the day goes on. So that's, that's my two cents on the subject. 
Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. And like I mentioned earlier, you know, over 37% of our donors last fiscal year were not alumni. And so, gosh, that's so big for then annual giving and donor relations to look at, right? I We are way past the the time frame that I would say was characteristic of annual giving and donor relations years ago, where it was everyone gets a first time donor packet. I'm not saying that's a horrible idea. I'm saying we should probably be thinking about how the first time donor parent who gives for a very different reason than a first time donor who is a young alum or a first time donor who is, um, you know, a bit more seasoned um, and, and what that looks like for them, right? Because they're, they're giving based on who they were, right? Years ago, what the, what they remember the university as the nostalgia. And then you've got these, you know, parents or employees of the university who are giving for very different reasons, you know, um, not even to mention the athletic supporter um, when there may be like benefit eligibility involved, um, and, you know, since we launched One Ball State Day in 2019, and we've seen these increases in um, employee giving, and last year of the of, of the over 10,000 gifts that came in on One Ball State Day, just over 2,000 of those gifts were from employees of the university. So how we thank them is very different. And then you can go down that that path of like, well, you have the faculty who are alumni who gave, you know, um, or you have the non-alumni who are employees who gave. And, you know, I, I think we could probably spend all day just trying to figure out, you know, the different ways to thank a donor. But, um, you know, I think it's also showing them that people do things collectively. Sorry, I started to get a call. I think that shows us that we can do things collectively and that overall there's something we love about the institution, right? There's something people love about Ball State University that unites them in philanthropy. It just It's just that it may be because their grandson is on the golf team or because they graduated from the um, Sciences and Humanities College and wow, did they have an amazing um, faculty mentor and, you know, maybe someday they set up a scholarship in the name of that, of that mentor. But um, I think that overall in higher ed, if we're not looking at those non-alum constituents who may be interested in not just what we have to offer, um, because I can't imagine any given city that has a university, what would happen if that university was not there, right? There's the community impact, but there's also the research that's provided and the community engagement of the students and employees as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Daniel, Lola, I know that we are just merely scratching the surface on this issue, this topic, and, and also where we can go from here and engaging more alumni, parents, and friends. Uh, this is important work, but today this has been a really fun conversation, uh, hopefully really productive for others, and just want to thank the two of you for sharing your thoughts with us here on Office Hours. Thank you for listening. Please join us next week as we mark National Transfer Student Week with an episode focused on best practices in streamlining transfer pathways.
We'll also look at how one institution in particular engages transfer students well beyond the enrollment stage to ensure they start right and stay right to achieve their education goals. Until next week, thank you for your time. 